Greetings and salutations to everyone in Cyberland. Welcome to this episode of Risk and Reels. I am your host, Jeffrey Wheatman. And I am super excited to have uh, Tomas Moldonado, the Chief Information Security Officer for the NFL, as our guest today. Uh, Tomas and I have known each other for about as long as you've been at the NFL, right? Because I think we talked when I was back in my previous role, I think when you probably first walked in there. So it's been three years, two and a half years, something like that? Uh, it's been It's been close to four years. Oh, wow. Um, or maybe more like 10, the way it feels, but yeah. uh, it's been a long four years, yeah. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but COVID totally whacked my sense of time, right? I have these conversations. We spoke a couple of months ago, and a guy's like, nah, it was three years ago. So <laughs> it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. So Tomas and I have known each other for a while. Uh, so I'm actually real excited that he agreed to, uh, to join us. So welcome, sir. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. It's happy to be. I'm happy to be here. Uh, obviously, having a conversation with uh, with with you, Jeff. It, it, I'm sure it'll be a very easy of a conversation because we we kind of got along well. And yeah, like you Absolutely. said, we know each other for a while. New 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 Yorkers get along great. So, <laughs> all right, awesome. So, as everyone knows, uh, we always start off with a movie question. Normally, I have to think about it, but I don't have to think about it with you, Tommaso. Here's the question: What is your favorite sports movie of all time and why and any memories that you may have that sort of you know maybe get some emotion going because i know i got a couple that that get me going good and bad so what, what well, what's your favorite well i don't know if it's my favorite favorite but it's definitely the one that comes to mind and it's and it's the one called rudy if you remember that movie from like the 90s uh, i think it was like 93 or 90 94 or 92 around there where you know the reason why it comes to mind is because you got this underdog, right? You know, this this kid in or character in the movie, and, and I forget his name. I think you you probably remember his name, but anyways, you get Rudy, obviously, but yeah, Sam, uh, Sean Astin, right. otherwise known as Samwise Gamgee from uh, Lord of the Rings. There you go, and you know you have you have this character trying to make a football team, and what I liked about the movie is. The, not only the struggle and the grit and determination, actually, that's probably exactly what I liked about the movie. That all of that, com- that it led up to him being able to play the game that he that he so much enjoyed, and then be carried off the field right after sort of making a big play or winning the game. So, um, I like that aspect of it. I think when I think about myself and and how I grew up in New York City in the Bronx. And I think about everything where, you know, how me and my family, we weren't sort of well off and how I sort of grew up and came up in my career, uh, both just life, right? Life in general of the Bronx, New York, trying to not become a statistic and end up in the, on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, and, and also being able to just survive, right? Survive the, the sort of inner city and then get into like college and, and start to work in, in corporate environment you know, that sort of grit determination is what sort of um, uh, really, I really gravitated towards, if you will. And it, and that connection of, of Rudy and, and it, you know, actually, and a lot of this is coming to me now to be very transparent, but that connection of, of what I liked about that movie and how he sort of showed all of that determination to, to be able to persevere is, is kind of how I've lived my life over the past uh, 40 some odd years of my life. So that, that's yeah. that's why that's that's the why behind that one 
that's that's a great choice, and I, and I agree. I think, and not not only did he show the grit and determination, but first he won over the team, and then if you remember, they got a new coach, and the new coach was not playing that right. Yep. And and they the team basically at the end, if you remember, said we're not going out if you don't put Rudy in, right? Yeah, I agree. That's that is definitely a great one. Definitely would be in my my top few for me. The Bad News Bears, the original version, the one that okay. could never be made today. I think that was my favorite one for, for a variety of reasons. First, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up, but but baseball was the one that I played competitively until I was in high school. And then I moved over to football when I bulked up a little bit. But that game, just how how the how Walter Matthaus, the coach, took that that ragtag group and turned them into a team and kind of I think what I really liked about it, similar to Rudy, is he made them believe something in themselves. He saw something in them that they did not see in themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great message. I think we all need to do it with our kids, with people around us. And, and I don't think there is, uh, is, is enough of that. And what's funny is that was not going to be what my choice was. My choice was going to be Field of Dreams, another baseball movie. But oh, then yeah, I started to think, and you talked about the grit and determination and, yeah. uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, I mean, you know, I also grew up in New York and, um, you know, we have a, a legacy of sports in, in, you know, all the major, all the major leagues. So, uh, you know, you, you kind of had no choice, but to grow up and, and right. And I know I'm sure you, well, you grew up in the Bronx, so everybody was a Yankee fan, but there was probably a Met fan floating in there somewhere. That yeah. I was a Met on. fan, man. I was, right? I was oh. a Met fan. Um, and, and just real quick, I thought you were going to say the Mighty Ducks because now you're down in Florida. So I was like, oh, you're probably going to go with the Mighty Ducks, but you didn't go there. No, I was I a Met, I was a Met fan growing up um, because I started liking baseball in the '80s, right? And and Gary Carter, I wanted to be a catcher like Gary Carter. And so once I started to, to watch Gary Carter play, and obviously he played for the, he played for the, the uh, what was it? Canadian uh, Expos, Toronto. Yeah, he was an Expo Expo first, Montreal yeah. Expos, and then he went over to the Mets. And once he became a Met, you know, I, I started watching more and more of the games, and I and obviously the Mets were good back in the in the mid '80s, and then they ended up winning in '86, and and it was it was all great from there until until '87, '88, '89, '90, and the next two or three decades. But it's been uh, very difficult. Yeah, and what happened to them this year? They they did well last year. There was so much promise, but I mean, the the Yankees and the Mets are just not. It's it's not, not good. Yeah, look, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> It's a cycle, right? You know, they got to give opportunity for some of the other states across the, the U.S. to No, to no, shine. we don't. No, <laughs> no, no. So, all right. So cycle, I think that's actually a great sort of a transition. So when, when we first started talking about having you on, I thought about, so you and uh, Dave Monroe from the NHL and... Oh, I can't remember the name of the guy from the NBA. Steve, uh, Steve Grossman. Yeah, Steve, right. So you guys did a great session at RSA back earlier in the year. And I thought it was really interesting because while there are obviously a lot of similarities between the leagues, there are also a lot of differences. And I think I think our audience would love to hear sort of, you know, this is not your first gig, right? You've been around for a while. What's different? What's the biggest difference about being CISO at an organization like the NFL compared to, you know, some of the the gigs you've had earlier in your career. Well, I'll say one of the big differences that I that I've noticed right off the bat is, and funny that I say bat as I'm in football, 
but right, you know, that I've noticed is the impact not only that we have with with uh, with the the product and the industry that we're in with NFL and sort of the gra- and how fans gravitate towards, but when I think about the challenges that I have from an information security standpoint, that cyber physical component for us at the league and even my counterparts at the other leagues is much more apparent of a clear and present danger, if you will, or something that we really need to start to protect against versus when I was in banking and, and chemical manufacturing, chemical manufacturing a little bit, but you know, banking, not so much. Right. I mean, at most you, and when I mean cyber physical, so something starting as a cyber threat, which then trickles down into some sort of kinetic type of impact, right. A physical, physical sort of uh, damage or health and safety issue. So I think that's probably the biggest difference that I've noticed um, as I've gone through my career and as I've sort of uh, made it over to the NFL. Um, similarities, there's tons of similarities between the NFL and other high-profile companies that I worked at, uh, whether it was Chase or Goldman or even International Flavors and Fragrances. The fact that that we have material non-public information, we have medical information, we do credit card transactions. You know, there's, there's different business dealings that we're doing, whether it's licensing or even customer-facing stuff or even collecting customer and consumer information uh, as people enter into our venues and, and the likes. So all of that stuff is, is really, sem- really very similar. Uh, we're just like a company, like any other company that has uh, typical departments and different, um, you know, different mission uh, that's more geared at, at, at sports and entertainment and media, but the similarities are the same in terms of our bottom lines and how we're trying to reach our, our business objectives. So that's probably the key the key distinction that I would make between sports and entertainment versus chemical manufacturing versus uh, financial services. I, I The other thing too that's probably super important is the reputation, right? The NFL is one of the biggest brands in the world, right? It's, so- Yes. Any anything unique in your role or your team or the or sorry how to build the function because of that? Well, so it's it's definitely very well known brand. There's a lot of you know quote unquote celebrities if you want to call them that or people that are looked at you know highly regarded uh, public figures if you will. Um, I, I don't consider myself in that same category, uh, but I do experience at times, you know, there are there are at times where I walk around a conference floor and people want to take pictures with me, which is very weird, Jeff. I'm not used to that aspect of it. Um, but it is a high, it is very high profile. You know, when we put on the big event like a Super Bowl, it's, you know, think of it as America's game, right? It, it, you know, to a certain extent, it is America's game and, you know, Baseball might be America's pastime, but football is America's game. And if something happens during that actual event, you know, people are are uh, are seeing it. They're witnessing it either for very firsthand, and it could move markets, right? It could it could have a very adverse impact that, and that's everything that we try to avoid and, and work on. Right? Do Do you feel that it's getting harder because of the the headlong sort of approach, right? Technology is becoming more and more a part. I mean, 10 years ago, players weren't tweeting or going on social media. They, you know, they weren't doing all that. And all of that feeds into the brand, not just to the teams, but but the league, right? So do you, do you, have you seen it change a lot over your four years? I mean, even, you know, four years is a long time in technology. Yeah, look, I, I think it's, 
I don't think it's getting harder. I wouldn't I wouldn't say the word harder. I would say there's definitely a lot more opportunities to to continue to evolve security programs as the technology evolves. Um, I think from a business standpoint, the technology is definitely helping us stay connected with our fans and meeting our our fans where they are today, right? So all of the all of the things around social media and what are the players are sort of getting more engaged in 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 uh, in the sort of micro blogging and, and the likes. I think those are really positive aspects. And again, I'm not a sort of NFL spokesperson, but just as a fan. Like it lets you into their life, right? And you start to see these people as regular people or as your friend, you know, that that just happens to play on TV and and, and win championships. But you're starting to get a glimpse into what their day-to-day is like. And I think that helps build that connection between our fans and the players and everything in between. So more opportunity versus versus the challenges and then it allows us opportunities the opportunities to really evolve our security program to tailor it and customize it to where the data is and where where our, our individuals are interacting with it and those touch points so question for you just for the folks out there that may not know how it works right so clearly you you are sit at the top of the cybersecurity program at the NFL do you manage security for the teams? Do they do it themselves? What what does that look like? Because you are the ultimate the ultimate federated environment. Yeah. So the 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 clubs are essentially franchises, if you will, of the NFL. The NFL is like that umbrella uh, that handles a lot of the negotiations, things that are very sort of public that you already see in the, in the uh, today, right? So things like collective bargaining agreements and managing uh, different types of uh, agreements and engagements around licensing and broadcasting and the likes for the clubs. Uh, And then the clubs essentially are part of that umbrella. But the clubs have individual businesses in addition to football. A a large majority of the 32 clubs have additional types of businesses that they manage and maintain. I say that because uh, that helps you understand that my remit is really just the NFL, the league, and then it's more of a touch point with the clubs in a more interactive, influencing sort of way to a certain extent. And that extent is the clubs implement the security policy that comes down from the league or think of those as like security requirements. Right. They implement that the, at the league level. We uh, do security assurance assessments against the clubs. Uh, we also assess the stadiums. And, and that's our touch point. The clubs are also audited by the NFL. Um, but they operate almost as independent companies. They have their own IT security individuals. We have a really good relationship with those individuals and we partner together, uh, but they have their own reporting line and reporting structure. The key difference is that my board of directors are essentially the owners. And so, you know, not to, not to shock anybody, but I have 96 board members that I present to on, uh, on a given year. Uh, when I do annual meetings, because there's three representatives per each club that sit in that board governance row, and that makes up the board of of directors that I end up presenting to. Obviously, there's subcommittees uh, that that have smaller, not 32 people, uh, sorry, 96 people. You know, you have smaller subcommittees and the likes, but they're about 12 12 people, if you will, committees. Yeah, so I I was at a dinner, uh, I won't won't tell you, where? Because I don't want to, but I, I met a CISO from one of the clubs and, uh, and I told him, I said, I'm, you know, I'm a New York football giant fan. And it was a team who maybe competes with the Giants pretty directly. And he leaned over and he said, me too. 
Uh, so, you know, but I, it's I, funny, I right? Because I know who you're talking about. We won't mention I, the name because we don't yes, want to expose I, him. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Um, but it's, but it's a super interesting environment then because like I used to work with a lot of federated companies when I was a partner and you'd have a global CISO, which is you, and maybe you'd have three or four CISOs, but you have 32 that you need to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. And not every club has the same money. Not every club even yeah. has the same ownership structure, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. Green Bay Packers, for example, they're owned by the fans. They're not even owned yeah. by private people. So do you... Is there is there sort of like a political element to this whole thing as well that you have to work through? There is. I mean, there's there's there is a there is a political element that we have to work through, and I don't really think of it as political. I think of it as just ensuring that, from a league standpoint, we're being we're being equitable in our treatment of whatever it is that we're pushing out to the club. So if I tell you who you know you're, you're a Giants fan, so if I tell you Giants. Hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z to, to mature your program. I need to ensure that I'm saying that message consistently through all the clubs. So I, I'm very keen and focused on on ensuring that we're we're providing that level of, of equitable treatment across the the population of individuals. But then you have to work through the different nuances, right? Because you have some clubs that are in different states. There's different political regimes in those states, which drive those different um, uh, clubs to, to have different types of initiatives. So it's just really understanding their business a little bit more, more than just football, to help understand their motivations behind why they can or cannot do something from an information security standpoint, and then just partnering and working with them effectively. Uh, the one thing that we don't do, and, and, uh, and, and not that we don't do, but the one thing that I remember very early on when I joined that I level set it with all the clubs. I said, look, I know you all compete on the field and you absolutely need to keep your, your secrets and things like that. But when it comes to cybersecurity, information security, we're all in this together, right? Anything that impacts one club will spread to the other clubs and ultimately to the league and vice versa. So I've tried to break down those barriers and we have a really good relationship with, with all of the clubs. We meet with them every month. Uh, and we have conversations with them, not only as a group every month, but also individually uh, on a monthly basis to to help work through those different nuances. So that, that's actually, that's really interesting. I never really kind of thought about that. We One of the things we've been hearing about a lot over the last couple of years is about information sharing, right? We all need to know what else, else is going on, but companies don't necessarily want to share what's out there. And um I don't know when this is going to go live, but relatively recently we saw a new SEC ruling about, you know, disclosure of cyber events. And one of the things that people push back against is, well, if you share that, the bad guys know what you're doing. And my my tenant is the bad guys already know what everybody's doing. The bad guys are already talking to each other. So if we don't talk to each other, that just gives the bad guys another advantage. And let's face it, yeah. man. We don't absolutely. need to give them any more advantages than they already have, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we have uh, we have like this, uh, you know, we don't call it this, but I'll, I'll use it for, for, for this podcast. We, we have the concept of like an NFL ISAC, if you will, right? Because I have 32 clubs, 32 companies where we can share threat intelligence information back and forth. And we do... We do that relatively on a sorry. We do that on a daily basis, and we do that very easily and seamlessly with the clubs. Uh, we have sec- obviously secure mechanisms to transport transact that information, uh, so that we keep it all sort of uh, um, you know isolated, controlled, and 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 not leak out to the public, if you will. But but yeah, it's 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 probably one of the most critical aspects of our playbook that 
uh, threat information sharing. Oh, that we playbook. I saw what you did there. Playbook. Yeah. I, I like that. That's you like good. that, right? <laughs> and, then, and then the other thing that, that we have, because the, you know, if you think about the sports leagues as being its own industry, which it is, right? It's very unique. And so our challenges are very, are sometimes different than other industries. And then there's some similarities, but the way I'm going with this is that I know my counterparts at the other leagues and we all have each other's sort of phone numbers, if you will. And we can call and say, Hey, are you seeing this? Are you seeing that? And, you know, can you share anything? And, and we'll collaborate that way as well. Now we're trying to build more form formality around that in the form of a true ISAC, if you will. Uh, but each of the each of the leagues, as I've come to know, you know, my counterpart at NBA, my counterpart at, at MLB, they all have their own ISAC similar to the way we do within their own club structure right, yeah. because they have so many clubs, right? And that you that you cut my that was going to be my next question is how much work do you do? Because I I know Dave. Monroe from the NHL pretty well. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's good that you guys are doing that because y- you know, everybody says, Oh, our industry is unique. And in some cases it's true. Mm-hmm. And I think what you guys doing are, is unique because of that federated structure, the, the cultural sort of thing. You know, you made a great point about every state being different from a privacy perspective, from a regulatory perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it, it's a lot of moving parts. Uh, it, it, you know what? You still got all your hair, and it's all still pretty dark colored. So that that's no, pretty no, good. Man. It's, rec- it's receding, and, it's, and and you can't see the grays. Maybe maybe I got the um, bad lighting on see, here. See, I got I got a lot of gray going on, but <laughs> you know, and I I don't have that kind of that kind of stress. So um, I just want to backtrack a little bit because you you talked about the physical and and the sort of convergence, and mm-hmm. um. I think that's particularly interesting because one of the things we have seen, so I like I was at a giant game a number of years ago and it was about two weeks after something happened at a sporting event in Europe and the whole model getting into MetLife stadium changed. Right. And it got much, much harder to get in. So do you, do you find yourself sometimes having to react to things that are, that raise awareness, but aren't necessarily really a huge issue, right? Because, you know, there, there's a, a researcher named Peter Sandman out of uh, um, Princeton, and he talks about risk equals hazard plus outrage. And the outrage is, is it on the front page of the paper, right? Do you do you find that you're getting calls from your leadership, from the teams, whenever anything sort of physical happens elsewhere in the country, elsewhere in the world? Does that drive you? And how do you deal with that? Sometimes people blow stuff out of proportion. You got to go, okay, it's a problem, but let's sort of take this with a reasonable treatment. So anything you have see there? Yeah. So we, we're lucky here at the league where, so my, my boss is the head of physical security. Uh, and then, and then my boss, Kathy Lanier, and then she's a fascinating individual. If you've ever had a chance to meet with her. Or, or even look her up. Uh, she's got a very historic background, and she reports up to the general counsel. Um, where I'm going with this is, since I work for physical security, we have a co-located uh, global security operations center, or fusion center, as I like to call it sometimes. And that's where we have cyber and physical. Uh, and what we do, what we do within that sort of function is, we we are very proactive, specifically on the physical security side, from a threat intelligence standpoint or intelligence gathering standpoint. Uh, so we have intelligence analysts that are out there looking at 
those different headlines, whether they're in Europe or Asia or anywhere across the globe, as well as within the U.S. and the different states that we operate in and play, whenever there's something that pops up that will be impactful, either it's in our league or a different league, we're capturing that information, we're packaging up and creating a product around intelligence, and then we're disseminating and sharing that with uh, specific uh, stakeholders within the league to make them aware of these types of things. And we also adjust our playbooks, right? Because you can't just start, like whatever playbook we started with the season, we start the season with, is probably going to be modified towards the end of the season based upon the, the threats that we're facing. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to talk about the threat specifically because I don't want to give people ideas. But if you think about, <laughs> no, do not you, do that. <laughs> yeah, if you think about some of the things that have happened, specifically on the physical security side, right, uh, of of things making their way into the stadium, we adjusted our our prof- We we saw that we adjusted our threat profile and then we adjusted our controls. And I think you know some of what you said around the Giants game, you know, this level of scrutiny as you went in from one week to the next was probably adjusted because of that. So we try to stay on top of that. And we try not to overreact. We try to assess, figure out what does that mean from an impact standpoint across our, our, our venues. And then we work with those venue operators to ensure that we can implement controls to mitigate the risk appropriately, right? Um, because every single thing that we're focused on from, a, from whether it's cyber or even physical security, or, or the majority of the other businesses, business lines is all around health and safety of our fans and our players. And we want you to have a great experience when you come into the venue and, and when you leave as well. So that's, I think, gives me another question. So I would have to imagine you also probably have great relationships with the federal authorities, the state authorities, police, law enforcement, right? Because they have different access to data feeds. You know, the FBI may hear about national stuff, but you know, the New York City counterterrorism, for example. So how, how does that work? You have regular meetings with, and, and obviously if you don't want to sort of let too much information, I totally understand, but it seems to me that that would be an important part of the model as well. Yeah. So we, we do have regular touch points with those individuals in law enforcement, um, specifically those three letter agencies, and even the states that we operate in, the local law enforcement in, in the cities and states uh, alike. Um, and then a lot of our our, our skill set within our team, specifically on the physical security side, there's a lot of uh, security directors that work for the league that interface in with each of those uh, each of those states that we play football in that are former chief of police or FBI or or, or high ranking officials that you know may have retired and have and have now taken on a second sort of uh, uh, um, job, if you will, and that and that role is working with us and being that touch point with their local uh, connections that they have. So so to answer your question, yeah, we're we're very well connected and we have to be very well connected with, with law enforcement um, and everyone within that sort of a law enforcement umbrella to be able to execute on a weekly basis and keep people safe. Um, because again, that, that's a very, uh, that's one of the top priorities. And you're right, they do have information that, that um, may not be readily available uh, or may not be re- readily available in the news. Uh, they might have other types of information. So we obviously have people with security clearance and the likes to get that information. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's actually a great model. I, I think one of the challenges, and we saw some of this, uh, I've seen this at conferences and the whole public, public-private partnership, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not, 
it needs to be better. And it sounds like you guys have gotten it to a pretty good space there, uh, which is, which, you know, we uh, applaud you for, because I think, um, too many organizations, they don't want to open the raincoat. They don't want to let it get out there. And that's why I think the new SEC ruling, I think, is going to help because it's sort of forcing people to open the raincoats. And I think people are going to need to let that yeah, stuff look, out. Nobody I, wants I, to say, hey, we got we got hosed. Right. We don't want to talk about it. And, and look, just to plug the FBI, right, and the effort that they're doing, and even CISA, right, so Jen and, and her CISA team, they're making a very big push uh, to build that public-private sector partnership, right? You know, I, I went down to the FBI CISO Academy uh, uh, last year, and, and a large majority of the other CISOs that were there, and the goal behind that was really to start to peel back the onion, or uh, you know, if you will, on on like, well, what are those barriers as to why the private sector wouldn't want to communicate with the public sector, right? And vice versa. And and a lot of the feedback that, that we were providing was, you know, if you think about early on, you know, some of these agencies, you would call them for help and they come in and take your assets. Well, they don't do that anymore, right? They, they, that's not part of their, their MO anymore. They're being more collaborative, more helpful, providing you more assistance versus, you know, what may have been perceived in years prior as victimizing the victim again, right? So uh, I think there's there's a lot of effort on on the part of those agencies. I think for, for us at, at the league and even the different sports leagues, the nature of how we operate, where we um, have these big commercial facilities, one, we're part of critical infrastructure for, for the U.S., so we're in that category. We have these big venues where you have a lot of people. You have to have a good relationship with, with law enforcement. And, and from the cyber standpoint, we have to have a great relationship with, our, with those agencies so that we can share that information and seek that assistance when we need, specifically when we do big events like a Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. So one of my previous guests last season was uh, Bailey Bickley from the NSA, and she runs the Cyber Fusion Center over there. And that was really what we talked about. And she, what they, what people I think have finally started to realize is, if if the federal government says in comes in and says you must, you have to, people are going to push back. Instead, I think it's more collaborative, right? So we share information. Let's talk about what sort of the the best responses. So. All right, Tomas, I know you are super busy. Football season's coming up. Actually, it may have already started by the time this goes up. So um, this was great. I, I learned a lot, even even though I saw the session you guys did at, at, at RSA. Um, I will not put you on the spot and ask you what football team you like, but I will. You know I'm a Giants fan. What do you oh. think? We got a shot this year? I think the Giants have a shot every <laughs> year. But uh, but look, I, I am a big All-32 fan. I love All-32 teams equally, and uh, I wish them all well. And I hope to see them all in the Super Bowl at the end of the, at the, end of the season. <laughs> Talk about being political. All right, Tomas, <laughs> um, any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Uh, this has been great. I learned a lot, and hopefully they did uh, as well. I think you have a unique business that you, uh, you're in. Any final thoughts? Like I'll say, uh, I think we have really good fans that that appreciate the uh, the game. I think there's the the more we the more fans we can continue to to develop over over the years, the better. Uh, but on the cybersecurity front, I think there's a lot of work for us to do in getting uh, more talent within the cybersecurity industry. And I'd encourage everyone to really focus in on uh, not only diversity, equity, inclusion, but looking at opportunities to really start to bridge the gap and build that pipeline of talent. Uh, within the information security and cybersecurity industry. And I think there's a lot of things that are being done by the U.S. government and other agencies across the 
the globe uh, to start to encourage things like, you know, work creating sort of more of that workplace pipeline to get more talent into the industry. So I encourage all the other CISOs to really spend some time and think about how they can do that creatively uh, before they leave their their tenures, right? Or their, their tenured role. So that's, that's awesome. my final thought. All right. So we should have you on again and we can talk about that. I also, before we go, I just want to let everyone know, you guys should all follow Tomas on LinkedIn. He posts some really, really good stuff. He also does a fireside chat, which I love. It's, I wish it was not so late in the day, but I love it. So definitely follow Tomas. He's got some really, really good stuff out there. My friend, it has been a pleasure and an honor. Um, I Next time I'm in New York, I will let you know and we'll, uh, we'll grab some coffee. So I want to thank all of our listeners. This has been another episode of Risk and Reels with Jeffrey Wheatman. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure. Wheatman out. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.